Welcome to Women on the Scene, a podcast specifically for women with a visual impairment. And I'm your host, Janet Pettigrew. Today, we're going to be speaking about the importance of financial planning and how the NDIS can help complement your financial goals. Joining me in the conversation today is Christine Tinley, Director of Guides for Sight, which is an organisation that supports people to participate in their community, develop skills and continue to live independently. Christine helps women identify their goals and then looks at how the NDIS can be used to achieve that. And I also have financial planner Katie McDonald from Boutique Advisors. Katie has over 20 years experience in the personal investment field and has had her own business focused on working with women and helping them build their confidence when it comes to dealing with their personal finances. Now, ladies, this is probably one of the most important conversations that we're going to have on this podcast, but it's also the one that I think people would prefer to avoid mostly uh, because it always seems so dull and boring when, in fact, getting a handle on your finances can be your ticket to freedom. Before we head into the podcast itself, if you can just maybe give me a little bit of a background on yourselves, what brought you to the field that you're working in now, and why you think it's so important, particularly for women when it comes to looking at their financial planning. And maybe I'll start with you, Katie. Hi, Janet. Thank you. Uh, So I started my investment journey when I was 21. So it's over 20 years now that I've been investing. And I suppose back then it was more about uh, getting ahead, enjoyment and spending that money and having a bit of fun along the way. Then when I had my two beautiful boys really close together, I wanted to continue to create an income. So I ramped up my investment journey and took it to that next level. While that was all happening, a lot of people were asking me what I was doing. So I decided to start a business that educated women on how property works and how shares work. It was very basic, leading right up to the more intricate areas, but we talked about what a share is, what does that three-letter symbol actually mean. We got newspapers out, we got magazines out, and we discussed it from a very, very easy to understand right up to now what do you do when you get an LVR and what does that actually mean? I then turned that business online, but I didn't enjoy it because it meant I just was sitting in front of a computer blogging and I didn't particularly like doing that. So I uh, got my degree in finance, advanced diploma in financial planning and became a financial planner. I specialise in women as well as family businesses. And the reason I specialise in women is I feel that there is still this myth that looking after your finances is tricky and difficult. And um, from my experience, a lot of women tend to close their eyes around looking after their financial independence. And the latest statistic is that over the last five years, there has been a 44% increase in women seeking homelessness services. And that is attributed to not understanding and looking after their finances. So I am on a mission to help women demystify finances and get them in a secure situation. Fantastic. Thank you. And Christine, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you provide. Hi, Jan. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Um, For myself, I mean, I've worked in business for a long time, not actually in the disability sector, uh, banking, finance, office management and financial areas. And I came to a point in my life where I was looking for something that was a bit more meaningful to myself. And I went back to school and studied 
have a diploma in Australian Sign Language and uh, spent a, a number of years working with people with deaf blindness or dual vision loss. And when the NDIS was uh, going to roll out in WA, it was it was really exciting because the way it's styled on being individualised, goal setting and working on outcomes and achievements that's where I was at with my working life, you know, with my staff and team members. It was very, very much part of my job role as a manager and I could transfer that into the NDIS. So that to me was was my little niche. Um, and I set myself up in my own business at Guides for Sight. We've been trading for 16 months now. And part of that is to specialise in helping people uh, and ladies and people with vision loss and vision and hearing loss um, reach their goals. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, we know traditionally um, we still have a long way to go in terms of pay equity. Women tend to earn less. Consequently, uh, with, with child rearing and uh, they tend to be out of the workforce for some time, uh, so they have less in super. And perhaps if you're also operating just on a disability support pension, many people are thinking, look, I don't have anything left at the end of the week to try and invest in anything is that actually the case? How can people who feel that they are so financially stressed or have very little are just going from one pay cycle to the next pay cycle possibly even consider having any kind of financial plan? I hear this story over and over again, and it's not really how much you earn. It's actually understanding how much you spend. So regardless of your level of income, you will most probably live paycheck to paycheck unless you actually consciously make a decision. So my first recommendation is to understand how much you earn after tax and then get out what's called a spending plan as opposed to a budget, because nobody likes budgets, is work out how much you actually spend. Once you understand those two areas, inevitably there will be something left over, regardless of your income. It may be as small as $5 or it may be a lot larger. The idea then is to put that small amount of money somewhere else every week and that will help you to develop a safety net. So that's my first recommendation. So no matter how much money you get coming in, there's always going to be leaks, isn't there, of money that kind of fritters and, and drifts away that you might not be that conscious of until you sit there and really look down and go, oh, actually, I bought three coffees that week. That equates to $15. We all like to give ourselves a treat, but maybe I should just cut that back to one and then I've got $10 to save, that kind of thing. That's exactly right. It's um, how much money am I going to spend on birthday presents? How much money am I going to spend on lunch? How much money am I going to spend on groceries? Looking at all your areas that you're actually spending and making a conscious decision on whether that is enough or whether it's a little bit too much. And then seeing at the end going, okay, now I have this small amount of money or large amount of money that I can put aside and therefore what am I going to do with it? So it's really making a clear understanding about your spending habits. Whilst we're talking about this idea of looking at our finances, a lot of people will say, look, I'm really busy or I don't understand it or I just don't want to have to deal with that. How do you overcome people's reticence to actually take control of their money? I think Christine said it really clearly before in our previous conversation. It's about valuing yourself and you are important. And once you start to really take that into consideration, then money gives you choice. 
And if you're not valuing yourself and you're not therefore looking after your money, then you don't actually have any choice. So I think you end up having two choices. The first choice is to educate yourself yourself. So go out there and read some books, uh, understand your finances, work out what a budget actually is, understand what interest rates are, understand what a home loan is, and really start to take control of your finances yourself. Or you can make a choice to go and get somebody else to do that for you, to work alongside you. They don't do everything for you and they shouldn't take everything away without actually educating you, but they can make the journey easier. But if you decide not to do either of them, then I feel that you'll really need to look at yourself and go, I'm not valuing how important I am and therefore that is the reason why I'm not looking after my finances. It is tricky. Uh, it will take some time, but it is a really important thing for you to start doing. We talked before as well about, obviously, there's the Banking Royal Commission happening at the moment. Um, financial advisors have had a pretty bad run in the media. Of course, not all financial advisors are dodgy. The vast majority of them do have their clients' interests at heart. But as someone who maybe isn't particularly literate when it comes to that whole world of finance, how do you find someone that you think you can trust? It's a really good question. And it's really sad that we still have this problem in financial planning, that there is still people out here that aren't looking after their clients, because I feel it's an honour when clients uh, come to see me, because it is such an important part of their future. And to think that there are people out there that don't have that same value that I have, it's disappointing. So what steps you can take to ensure that you get the right financial planner would be, first of all, to interview at least two, maybe three. I wouldn't go any further than three because you'll get confused about what each person said. So the maximum I would recommend would be three. What you're looking for when you're having that initial meeting, which in most cases will be for free, is how do I resonate with that person? So do I trust them? Is my gut feel saying that this person is a trustworthy person? Do they have the same values of me? Are they actually asking me what is important for me? Because it's not about the financial planner in that meeting, it's actually about the person, yourself. So are they asking questions to find out what is important to me? What are my financial goals? What are I want to do in my life? So you come away from that meeting saying, okay, was that actually about what I wanted to tell them? The next thing is understanding their education and their qualifications. Up until recently, their financial qualifications was less than a hairdresser. And so that's changed dramatically. So understanding what their qualifications are. After you've had that clear understanding, and it's very easy, you just ask them, is what are their licences? So who are they licensed by? Now, being licensed by a particular bank or AMP doesn't mean that that's going to be a bad thing, but it needs you need to understand it so that you understand if they're restricted in what advice they can give you. So, for example, are you only restricted to giving advice into products that are AMP related? 
because then that means that you may not be able to give me the right advice I need because I may need to just put money in a savings account or to save money for a mortgage. But if you can only give me advice on putting money in a particular product, then then you're not going to be able to help me. So once you have a gut feel, you understand that the conversation was solely about you, not about them. You believe your values are in line with them. You understand what education and qualifications they have and you understand their licensee and what restrictions, if they have any restrictions, are. The next thing is to understand how much it's going to cost. They should clearly be able to articulate that either at that first meeting or in an email afterwards. So it depends on the complexity as to how much it's going to cost and it will be a flat fee. Then you can make an informed decision about whether or not this person is the right fit. Along the way, you may find that they don't become the right fit and that's okay that you can at any stage make a decision not to continue on with the services. Great. Thank you. That's a really clear stepping process that we've got. I guess pulling it back right to the start point is you, as individuals, we all have to think about what do we want for the future? What are our goals at the very baseline? And then from there, it's that stepping process. Well, then how do I achieve that? How do I get that? Now, for someone who may be on a disability support pension and have access to the NDIS, understanding or planning on those goals is an important first step, isn't it, Christine? Because from there, then you may be able to tailor uh, what support services you can access to then achieve that goal. That's correct, Janet. It's um, it's very, very important for anyone entering into the NDIS to really put some thought behind what they want to achieve in the coming 12 months. A plan typically runs for 12 months. But also looking back in your life to see the things that you wanted to do or did do or had access to previously um, may be a starting point if you really don't know where you want to start. If you have a, a goal of financial independence in your NDIS plan, on the surface, you may think that doesn't relate too much to NDIS because NDIS is not about daily living costs. It's about costs that are specifically associated with your disability and giving you a much more level playing field compared to people that don't have your disability. So they are quite separate. However, if in your goal of financial independence, what does that look like to you? What steps do you need to do to do that? So if it's maybe securing employment. Um, It's what steps, what skills do you need to do to get to a point where you are able to secure employment? Um, And that may take a few months, it may take a few years. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It's important as to what the steps are and that you are gradually improving and moving towards that final goal of employment. So if that goal is in your plan for three or four years, it's not an issue. It's just each step you move closer to it. Financial independence may come down to your shopping, you know, and if you if you have a support person with you that takes you shopping, that they don't only just read you the price and the details of their favourite product, but they might read you the details of four or five products for that one thing so that you can then make a really decisive choice about Do you take the more expensive product because the quality of that product is what you're looking for or do you take a cheaper product because the quality of that product is not that important but you still need it and therefore you may have saved $2.50, which on the surface doesn't sound like much, but all those little $2.50s add up and then that then gives you that extra little pocket money in your purse to put aside for, for investing in your own future. 
taking that first step of control over your finances or even the first step of sitting down and thinking, yes, I am a valuable individual and I do have goals and aspirations. How am I going to achieve them? It's often a barrier for a lot of people, regardless of whether you have any form of impairment or not. In your experience, Katie, when do people walk through the door for you? When do people make that choice? For women, unfortunately, it tends to be when disruption occurs. So it could be a loss of a loved one. It could be divorce. It could be that your children have grown up. And that's when they go, okay, it's now time for me to look after me and understand my finances. It would be really good if uh, women made the decision prior to those disruptions, which is what I'm trying to advocate. But generally, it's when a crisis occurs. I suppose a story comes to mind of a client who recently came to me who had, uh, she was in her mid-40s. She'd been divorced very early in her life, so she was divorced around 25 and had been on this uh, roller coaster ride of financial disruption. She had recently been robbed in her own home by the flatmate that was living with her. He stole her money in her bank account and had racked up around $15,000 worth of debt. And for her, I think the realisation came is if I continue down this path, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble when I retire. I need to now look after my finances and to some extent stop blaming everybody else. So we've taken her on this journey where we've won getting the debt paid off. After we've got the debt paid off, then we're going to slowly and slowly get to a point where she has a deposit on her home. We're choosing a home that is within her reach so that by the time she's 60, it would be completely paid off. So we're not talking about a $500,000 mortgage. We're talking about something very small, a one-bedroom apartment that we know that by the time she's 50, she'll have the deposit and by the time she's 60, she will have it paid off. But that's her making the decision to value her, to have the confidence to say, I'm in trouble, but I now realise that if I keep on burying my head in the sand, I won't get out of this trouble. That's a fantastic story. Brings me back to that idea that we have, we all have our inbuilt relationship to money, whether we see it as something we deserve or not, whether we see it as something inherently good or bad. If you're always chasing after the dollar, it always feels like this elusive thing. Or if you're always going from one paycheck to the next, then your relationship with money becomes quite complicated and negative. How do we overcome that? I think that's a podcast for another time. (laughs) But I believe that the way we need to think about money and the relationship we have is that money, all it is, is gives you choice. It is a piece of paper that enables you to choose what you can do. You can either choose to not do anything or you can create a relationship with money that enables you to do and become the person you deserve to become. Fantastic. It is just a thing after all. It's a transactional tool, so we don't have to give it a personality. (laughs) We can be friends with it. (laughs) Hopefully, yes. (laughs) So if we go to the effort of, say, looking at our finances, getting things in place, how does that then translate across to how the NDIS can help people who are eligible for it? 
Okay, so people that are uh, in the NDS now or coming up for eligibility uh, with the rollout across WA are probably in the best position because they can actually decide to do something now. You know, unfortunately, there's quite a few people that are still be coming in over the next 18 months or so. But for you, you've also got the time to prepare. So it's not a bad thing having to wait to come into NDIS because there's less pressure on you, I guess, to, to get yourself in a good place. The idea of self-management or managing part of your funding plan is a good place to start, I think, for financial independence. It's a nice, secure environment. There's lots of rules in place that you need to follow. And the part of the NDIS funding plan is to make sure that you have the right supports to help you manage your plan and make sensible decisions or or well-balanced decisions about how your funding is used. The idea is too, that it's a way of preparing you for the future. So it meets Katie's suggestions of preparing before you're under duress or before something happens that you have no control over. Um, So you can put some plans in place for your future. Well, for example, Kristen, if I came in to you and said, my goal is to maybe go and complete some study that I haven't done, and I'd like to, down the track, stop renting so I've got a place of my own, and I need someone to assist me in some of my other areas of my life, what steps do you take people through in your organisation that help them work out what they can do in that self-management sort of area? Yeah, so if they're looking at moving into their own home, for instance, it's helping them identify what services or assistance they may need to live in their own home. So whether it be, um, you know, someone coming in and helping them to do the cleaning and the washing or whether it be the shopping or or reading the bills or, you know, it really does depend on, on individual um, circumstances. It could be building the skills with preparing meals. It could be just getting out socially because once you live in your own home, then you also run the risk of being isolated and actually getting out and mixing with people and doing different things. So uh, being prepared, I mean, some of that those things can be put in place before you move into your own home. And then when you do move into your own home, you have those skills. The transition is, is a lot quicker. Self-management gives you the options of choosing what you want to choose. You can do a balance. You don't have to self-manage everything. You don't have to have everything managed directly via a provider. You can choose a combination of of everything. So do you pick out the bits you want to work with and then you leave the other bits for the providers to work with and um, then there's less pressure on you. And, you know, maybe in your first plan, you might only want manage one aspect of your plan. And then in your second plan, you've got a lot more confidence to then take over another aspect and you build on it the same way you build with, with your financial independence as well. And what's the relationship that you have? Do you, do you need to then find Uh, organisations such as yourself or other providers that are there to help you manage? How do you go about thinking what the mix is in terms of self-managed and, you know, provided kind of assistance? There are companies that are are there to help you with the pre-planning process. So, NDIS can refer you to other companies as well. Uh, There's a range of companies. You basically get a list and, and you ring them up and have a chat with them. If you feel comfortable dealing with those people or if they make a good impression on you, follow through the process. If they don't, you find someone else on the list and ring them up and and go through that process as well. So this is where we help, you know, as well. It's it's just sitting down and nutting out all all the different levels of, of what you're looking for. 
it's quite a good environment. If you've never actually taken responsibility or been given responsibility for any of those type of decisions, it's a really good environment to take that first step. Um, it's hard for families too who have always made, managed and made those decisions to actually let go and, and give you that independence. You know, it's, it's quite scary. So it's support for both sides of the person and you just build on it from there. Mm. I think the crux of what we've been talking about today really comes down to being a little bit brave and taking that first step, that leap. Uh, it's not a leap into the void because there are people there that can help you and support you. But it is at the core valuing yourself, recognising that you are an important person, that you have a lot to offer, and that your life is your responsibility. How you create it and what you want to have happen, really the ball is in your court. You're the architect of your own future, whether that be in terms of your financial planning or where you want to be in terms of your own career or aspects of your life that you want to create and involve and the sort of world that you want to live in. But certainly it requires you to um, to pick up that bat and ball and take that first step. That's correct, yes. And there are people such as yourself that are there to help you do that. So I hope today that we've provided our listeners with some a little bit of confidence um, to understand that there are organisations and individuals out there who can help you. So whether your goal is simply to get your finances under control in some way that then can help you reach a larger goal that you have, or whether you're thinking about what you can do within the NDIS and how that can support you in what your aspirations are. So Christine Tinley from Guides for Sight and Katie McDonald from Boutique Advisors, thank you so much for providing your expertise and information today. I'm sure that the information we've given our listeners will be very, very useful. Thank you so much, Janet. Thank you, Janet. Pleasure. And thank you so much for listening, everyone, to Women on the Scene, and we look forward to joining in the conversation with you next time. This podcast was edited by Oliver.